0: from Matthew chapter two, verses one to 12, which is on page 914 of the uh, Church Bibles. The Magi visit the Messiah. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be, Thanks be to God. God.
1: Let's pray. Father, as we look at this theme of epiphany, reveal to us afresh your purposes and your directions in the life of this church and in our personal lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you haven't been to uh, this church for a while, we are in a series where we look at the Christmas story. We're still in Christmas season. Uh, No, Christmas is not finished in the church calendar. Um, And we are looking at different stories of uh, the birth of Jesus, and we are trying to unwrap them like a gift, unwrapping uh, the gift of Christmas. So today um, it's uh, Epiphany and uh, so we will going to unwrap that. Now, I wonder if any of you has ever eaten a cake similar to the one that's presented on the screen. I I I see someone nodding there. Uh, Anyone else? Yeah? Oh, a few, a few. I think you uh, possibly have traveled a few times to France maybe, that's where you ate it, or to Belgium. Uh, That's a tradition on the 6th of December, um, at Epiphany, we eat what we call la galette des rois, a king's cake. Um, there is a small description there of what it is, a puff pastry pie filled with frangipane, is that how you pronounce it here? Yeah? Uh, kind of an almond type of filling inside, and traditionally eaten then on the twelfth night. Um, and how, does, how it works is that actually there is a little secret in it. You can see, I think, on that picture, on the little bit that's cut, you can see something protruding a little bit, yeah? Uh, that's a trinket, is it? How you you pronounce it? Trinket, yeah, kind of an ornament. or um, And in French we call it la fève, which actually means beans. That was before, but now we have kind of modernized it and we have this kind of plastic trinket in it. And an adult would cut... Uh, uh, the cake and make uh, uh, as many servings as there are people. Uh, And then usually we'll call uh, one of the junior children uh, to come and collect all the servings and then distribute them, trying not to look inside where it might hide. And the idea is that uh, you eat your cake and if you find uh, uh, trinkets, then um, you become the king for the whole year. Or if you're a lady or uh, a little girl, the queen. And uh, another tradition is that you put two crowns, so that uh, if you become a king, then you can also choose your queen for the year. Um, But it's loosely kind of um, uh, linked to the story, because, of course, we read uh, about the Magi. There is no mention of any kings here, and there is no mention of being three. But, of course, we have uh, mention of three presents, and so maybe that's why the tradition uh, comes then with, with the idea of kings. And we mentioned here uh, about magi, which uh, most probably are more astronomers or maybe even astrologues from the East. Uh, people used to look at the stars and recognize signs in the stars. And that's why uh, in our passage they see that star rising and for them that's the sign that a king is born. And that's what starts their journey. So epiphany, what does it mean? Um, often people will say, I had an epiphany, which usually means I had this kind of light bulb in my head, or, you know, it makes sense now all of a sudden. Um, And yes, it has that kind of connotation. But I think a better illustration for epiphany is this one. We have a Russian doll. Uh, I think you've all seen a Russian doll. If it was placed on the altar, um, and we just looked at it from a distance, we just see a doll and we could describe it and we would be able... um, But it's only when we would approach, take it in our hands, we realize, oh, there is more to it than just a doll. And if we shake and we realize, oh, we can open, and then in no time realizing that, yes, there was more to it than just that doll. And I think epiphany is that is unwrapping the story, discovering that there is more to it than what is just presented to us. And of course, that story of the birth of Jesus, we could see it as just an odd story of a couple having to travel and giving birth at an odd place with odd um, visitors. But when we take the time to unwrap and look through the layers, we then discover a much deeper meaning. And the one I would like just this morning to look at is, in a sense, a tale of two kings, because we are presented here in these stories with two very different kings. The first one, Herod, and the other one, Jesus. Herod represents the earthly king, He was appointed to be king over the Jews by the Roman Empire. And then we have Jesus, a heavenly king, whose origin is literally in our text written in the stars. One lives in a palace, comfortably fed and clothed, with all the facilities and luxuries of his time. The other one is born in a humble place, sleeps in a manger, experience the world away from all those luxuries and safety. On the surface we could say that Herod is the lucky one with power and influence and wealth. He's able to call religious leaders and they come. He summons the wise men to inquire more about this news and they come. The other king, Jesus, is tucked away in a small town called Bethlehem. He's totally dependent on his parents for food and survival. No outward power, influence, or wealth. Yet, when you scratch the surface, when you unwrap the story, when you go through the layers and get to the heart of it all, you will discover that this earthly king, Herod, is visited by the wise man, but in our story there is no mention of any presence to him. No mention of any special honor. While when when they visit Jesus, they present those three um, gifts that we heard in our confession of gold, myrrh, and frankincense, and they bow down and worship there is the common, knowledge that, uh, the common saying that knowledge is power. Well, in Herod's case, when it really matters, he does not know. He has to be told by the wise, wise man that a king is born, and he has to be told by the religious leaders about his origin and where he was supposed to be born. The religious says, "Oh, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will govern my people. And then we see in Herod someone deeply disturbed, troubled, someone anxious when he hears that a possible contender has been born, and that anxiety spreads all around him, in the city of Jerusalem, and that's what anxiety usually does. It spreads around. We read that he's a secretive person and a liar, faking an interest in this child when his real intention is to get rid. And so he says to the Magi before they leave, go and make a careful search for this child in verse 8. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. But of course, a little bit later in that chapter, in verse 16, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi who had been warned in a dream not to go back to him, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity. The other king, Jesus does not need to use schemes or status to attract. The heavens themselves directs people to him. Last week we heard how angels went to shepherds to tell them the good news, and today we hear about a star leading those wise men. He does not need a palace and privileges or luxuries to be recognized as a king. In our passage we read that when the star had, when the star they had seen, when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. So they were not even yet, they hadn't even seen Jesus. They were overjoyed just on coming to the house. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and then they bowed down and worshipped him. Yes, it was standard in those days to give those kind of presents to kings or sometimes even to gods in, ancient, in the ancient world. Gold as precious metal and frankincense as a perfume and myrrh as anointing all. And of course, in this country, you still anoint your kings or queens at coronation. But in case of Jesus, yes, those gifts most probably point to something much deeper called Jesus the King. Frankincense that Jesus is the one who intercedes as the priest for us and of course who will die for us. The myrrh. So two different kings and two different ways. Herod the anxious, Herod the jealous, Herod the liar, Herod the manipulator, Herod who creates terror and carnage, Herod, I believe, who symbolize so often the world's way, this world's way. And thinking back to last year, a few of those examples of Herod's way in our own world today, the growing number of terrorism acts Istanbul, East Istanbul, London, Manchester, New York, Stockholm, Barcelona, just to name a few. Herod's Way in the exposure of lying and cheating companies and organizations. Herod's Way in the spread of fears and anxiety and division by world leaders or party leaders. When people, companies, organization leaders function like Herod to ascertain their power, consolidate their position, or force their ways, it always ends up in people being hurt and losing their lives. But the disturbing reality is that Herod's way is not just out there. It's also closer to home. It's in our working places, in our schools, in our communities, in our churches in our homes, and dare I say, in our own hearts at time. Here is what one of the commentators of this passage says, For us, we must recognize the internal contrast between that part of our inner self, which is willing and joyful, and accept the lordship of Christ, and that darker side of ourselves which firmly and persistently rejects his high rule, his, high, his right to rule. So we shouldn't too quickly scoff at Herod until we have acknowledged the Herod in ourselves. But Herod's way is not the Christian way. It can never be the Christian way. It can never be the church's way. It can never be a Jesus-followers way. So beyond this implicit contrast of the King Jesus and the King Herod, we are actually presented with different responses. To accept Jesus as our Lord or to reject. And Matthew contrasts the eagerness of the major to worship Jesus and the apathy of the religious leader, or the outright hostility of Herod. And so the antidote for us is, I believe, to be more and more like the Magi, seeking out the true king, bowing down to his lordship, rejoicing and worshipping him, and becoming less self-serving Herods. This king, Jesus, 30 years after, said of himself, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And that is what his followers should do. He said, this is how everyone will know that you are my followers, my disciples, if you have love for one another. Love is not like Herod's self-seeking. It creates space for others to grow. It is not critical or harsh or jealous, but it encourages and builds others up. Of course, we have the famous passage of what love is in 1 Corinthians 13, and the message is translated this way. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others. Isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Doesn't revel when others grovel. I like that one. Doesn't revel when others grovel. Takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Trusts God always. Always looks for the best. Never looks back, but keeps going to the end. So like the magi... May this coming year, for all of us, may we be open to the heavenly signs, to the whispering of the Holy Spirit, to the presence of God in every situation, making time to journey in prayer and learning. And later on you will hear about our prayer initiatives that will start on Monday. Um, And if you can't do the 6 o'clock morning, which is challenging, I know that the challenge is, why not five minutes a day or 10 minutes a day? It's better to do five minutes a day than to think, oh, I should do one hour a day, but never do it. So that could be a good challenge for us. Five minutes a day, making space to be with God. And as we learn to bring all that we are, the good side and the bad side, the places where we've accepted already, Lord, Jesus as our Lord and maybe those darker places where we often act more like Herod. When we bring it all to Jesus, may we experience the exceeding joy of the Magi and renew a commitment to follow and worship him and him alone. If you were here last week, we have this prayer for New Year, so I thought it would be a good time to end this talk with that specific prayer. So if we can all stand up, And use the words there as a prayer for this coming year, which speaks about opening ourselves afresh to God and following His ways and not Herod's ways. Let's just take a moment of quietness before we start. So we say together, God our Father, in the name of Christ, And in the power of the Spirit, we offer ourselves to you and to one another to live, work, and pray as one body in Christ. As the Church of Jesus Christ, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we dedicate ourselves to forgive each other and walk humbly together. We commit ourselves to proclaim your word, to obey your commands, and to work together for the salvation of others and the well-being of the world. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.